So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Thank you for all your lovely feedback on last week's episode about the invention of Bailey's. Um, thank you to our man ambassador for San Jose, California. That's Barry, who's been in touch to point out that Bailey's was actually not the first drink to mix cream and whiskey. He says, Athol Bros has been made in Scotland for centuries. And according to Wikipedia... Uh, thanks for doing the hard work for us there, Barry. You'll be putting Ollie Peart out of his researcher's job soon. Uh, thanks to Wikipedia, quote, it is a Scottish drink obtained by mixing oatmeal bros, honey, whiskey, and sometimes cream. When it's made with cream, the drink is rather like Bailey's Irish cream. So there you go. Uh, probably doesn't taste anything like Bailey's when it's mixed with oatmeal, is my guess. Um, this week's show is not about booze, however. It's about music. Although those two topics do often go hand in hand, don't they? As they did, tragically, in the case uh, of Amy Winehouse. And my feature interview this week is with a lady who is, for want of a better phrase an Amy Winehouse impersonator. But she's much more than that. She she absolutely nails that voice in quite a spooky way, which is why I guess she's currently touring some of the really quite substantial music venues around the UK as Amy Winehouse, this troubled, charismatic signature figure of the last decade or so of popular music. I wanted to know what that was like, being Amy Winehouse, and, uh, well, you'll, you'll find out. You'll also learn what figging is and what it's got to do with ginger. You'll learn why journalists have been licking video game cartridges, and you'll learn why you should never tell an X Factor producer you've ever sung in a pub. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. I have to hear the artist sing it before I can take it. I think it's like having a, a photographic memory, really, but with songs. From mastering Shakira's yodeling to Aguilera's tone, how to make it as a tribute act. Covering a banana in a condom before you have sex ain't gonna protect you. And Alex Fox has some home truths if your sexual past is hard to cover up. But first, with all the trends you need to know for the week, it's the zeitgeist with the man whose mum once called him a scrotum, Ollie Pitt. See, I didn't actually think you'd use that. What were the circumstances? What was the context? She just got quite angry at me for doing something when I was younger and said, uh, You're such a scrotum! <laughs> I couldn't think of any other word to say. And I just stood there shocked. What had you done? Probably got a bit drunk and turned up at that house at one in the morning when I was about 16. Well, that is what a scrotum would do. Uh, what are the trends we should all be aware of this week? Switch. Switch, the much-missed BBC Youth Strand, hosted by Annie Mack. 
Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. That yeah, sounds like something in the sort of like late 90s. Because you're was... not down with the kids and also you're five years younger than me. Uh, right. Oh, that'll be the reason. No, this is very much an up-to-date reference to the Nintendo Switch. It is a brand new games console by Nintendo. So in 2014, Nintendo lost a shed load of money. Now, that was when they brought out the Wii U. So like with the Wii, the graphics and the Wii were, well, primitive. I mean, I could have drawn them with a broom up my ass. Where did that image come from? I don't know. I was just thinking about arses and brooms. What they've decided to do is up the quality of the graphics and really go for it in the, in the gaming quality and all this kind of stuff. But it's actually more than that. Imagine an, a, a tablet computer. Yeah. You can clip two controllers so it becomes a handheld device, right? Okay, but a tablet is a handheld device anyway. Yeah, but you haven't got controllers on there. So these are things with oh, actual, so actual buttons and joysticks. Actual pressing buttons like at, the 90s. Do you remember button. the 90s? I Steps remember are the 90s. Back. You know, this section's called the zeitgeist. It's hard to... For me to imagine how a games console will ever truly capture the zeitgeist again, because everyone's got computer games on their phone. Well, this is this it's is a bit like saying the next big thing is a portable music player because it's it's super high definition sound. It's like well, it is for people who are already into sound, but it's not going to be the big thing of the moment because it's not going to get me playing games. Because if I wanted to, I could just get an app. Well, yeah, well, this is where I think the trend is going to you know potentially take off. I'm wondering if other companies will start investing in more handheld consoles because there's a limitation with your phone. And Nintendo have spotted this, and that is, well, it's not just power, but also having the controls on the screen, it makes life difficult. So the, the Mario game that they released, for example, you should be able to play that one-handed. They've done that intentionally. So there's a limitation in the quality of the games. And yeah, that kind of but... Stuff. And if you're into your gaming and you want a game on an aeroplane, you don't want to play it on a bloody mobile phone. You want to have a decent gaming experience. What you actually want is a Nintendo-made dock for your phone so that you have the joypad controllers as physical controllers... But you are still using bring your own device. So you don't have to carry around two things. That's what we actually want, isn't mm. it? But journalists have been licking the game cartridges. And do you know why they've been licking them? Actually licking. I, no, I literally can't like imagine this. why you would lick a game cartridge. They've been licking them because they taste like shit. Nintendo, because they're really small. They look like little SD cards, right? Nintendo have covered them in this stuff called Den- Denatonium Benzoate. Right, and it's the same stuff they use when people bite their nails, like chronically, to stop them biting their nails. And they've coated it on this these cartridges All right. to stop little kids choking on them. That's a clever idea because kids, I can testify, mm-hmm. young kids, I've got a one-year-old, do pick up everything and put it in their mouths. Yeah. And one of the things they actually give you in hospital now when your child is born is a leaflet about those batteries. You know, the tiny little button-sized batteries. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they cause infant mortalities every year because kids eat those. Oh my god! So it's like, you, as a parent, you are really, really worried about that. And Nintendo, if they've got anything going for them against Sony and Microsoft, it is that they're the ones that you sort of think, yeah, I'll trust my eight-year-old with them, even mm-hmm. though actually their most recent incarnation did involve jumping up and down and, and holding a paddle which you could hit your sibling in the face with what else have we got this week biometric face masks something new in the number seven range there's a chap called matt lewis he's a researcher for a cyber security company Uh and he has come out and said oi you should be worried about 3d printed masks i like this story already well listen there's a company in oregon called that's my face and what you can do is you can send in some pictures from your facebook profile Apparently it only requires three, mm-hmm. and they will create your face, 3D printed, depth and everything, mm-hmm. for £250. Oh, wow. So are you thinking potential merch opportunity here? We could sell my face to listeners of the show for 400 quid, support the show, and get a Halloween mask in the process. Well, I was going to say, if it's for merchandise, it probably should be my face. 
Well, I think yours is harder to detail because of the beard. But the worry is, this guy's got a worry. He's basically saying, he, and he tested it, this, this mask can uh, fool biometric technology. So it can basically hack into phones like that have face recognition. It can fool security face recognition cameras and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, for 250 quid, criminals don't need tights. I can just get a face of someone. But you say he's gone public with this because he wants to alert people to a concern. But what he's effectively just done is advertise the existence of the Oregon-based company, hasn't he? I mean, I didn't know about them. Maybe that's a tactic because now they know anybody that orders from there potentially might go to commit a crime. Okay, but what would you use this for? Because in Mission Impossible, is it Mission Impossible 2, I think, where he like peels off his face and it was the guy underneath all along? But anyway, in, in that movie... It looks incredible, doesn't it? Of course, because it's not real. Yeah. And it's done by computer. And it is actually an actress with her real face. But it looks like if ever that came to fruition, that technology, it would be seamless. It would be amazing. But of course, you know that in reality, you'd see the creases. You'd see that it was a bit flabby around the edges. You'd see that it was printed out and so it wouldn't look like real skin. Mm-hmm. You know, it still really is the case that if you look at computer-generated imagery, when they try and animate a human being, for example, you can still tell really it's not a real person, can't you? I just find it hard to believe that 3D printed skin is ever going to really look like a real face. So I suppose what I'm saying is this must be about fooling machines, not fooling people. That's what it highlights, though. It highlights that there's all this that fancy biometric reading technology. Like, we can recognise your face, but it's so easy to fool. I was having a look on the internet and you can fool really easily fingerprint recognition devices. There's an Instructable, which is a website. You can go on it, Instructables, and they give you loads of tips on how to build lots of different things, like you can build a drone or whatever. And this guy has got his own instruction manual for how to fool fingerprint recognition. And he's like... It is so easy. Well, we've talked before, haven't we, about some glasses you can wear that just throw the scent off. Yes, that's right, yeah. Security cameras. So this is another way of if you actually want to impersonate someone in particular rather than throw them off your face. Yeah, and the the level of sophistication it has over just holding up a photo of them at a device (laughs) is is that, which people have done, by the way, is that the newer systems are able to detect depth, facial depth. So it prints the depth of your face, right? Yeah. So that's the difference. And finally, Ollie Pitt, your third trend of the week is what? Staying in. (laughs) Staying in is the new going out, Ollie. But uh, I think that's something we all kind of guess because everything is stupidly expensive now anyway. But it's official, according to the website, wellandgood.com. Oh, yeah, well, once they've said it. Yeah. Although in this era, who knows? Post-truth, isn't it? Maybe they are the final arbiters on what's real. So they say on their website, and I quote... Cool girl role models are snuggling up in Pinterest perfect bedrooms, taking face mask selfies and throwing dinner parties at home. Yeah, but you see the face masks selfies bit is the relevant part of the sentence, isn't it? Because I I suppose if staying in is the new going out, it's not just about saving money. It's the fact that for younger people, because middle-aged people, particularly people with kids, they've always stayed in anyway. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that younger people no longer need to go out to socialise. They can socialise with their social networks. They can even get a date on Tinder or whatever without leaving their bedroom. Exactly. And what they're saying is that it is technology that's assisting in this trend because it's allowing people to do things that they would normally have to go out to do at home. So things like swimming without a swimming pool. There is a company called Kayak Pro and they've invented a device called SwimFast. And basically, you lie down on a table... And you've got like this weird exercise bike type thing in front of you. Nah, it's not swimming. If there's not water, that's not swimming. No, and then the resistance is No, no, these... I'm not interested. It's not swimming. I mean, it's not like, like it's a rowing machine isn't rowing, is it? 
it's 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 a way of practicing yeah. your rowing technique. Yeah, but my point is, is that you can a golf go... machine is a way of practicing your golf swing. It isn't playing golf. So what if it was you were on this machine and someone just threw some water? It's on you? not swimming. Something you can do from home, of course, is join in with this section of the show by suggesting a trend to Ollie for next week's show. You can on Twitter at the Modern Man M A W N, of course. <laughs> and you could tie it to a dog and send it in my direction and see if it turns up. Man fans, this is your reminder to buy yourself a drink. Beer 52 are Britain's premier craft beer subscription club. They can deliver delicious craft beers to your door each and every month. And as a no-obligation introductory offer, they're giving you lucky Modern Man listeners £16 off a £24 case of beer, which means, Maths fans, you can get eight beers for £8. Just for listening to this show, you heard that right, Eight beers for eight quid, delivered to your door wherever you live or work in the UK. You can choose whether you want lighter, hoppier IPAs or a mix of light pale ales and stouts. You will not better this offer and you will not find better beer. Just visit beer52.com slash M-A-N-N. That's beer52.com slash man. Cheers. Did you ever get to see Amy Winehouse live? Perhaps in 2007 when she promoted her then new album, Back to Black, at Shepherd's Bush Empire. Perhaps, like me, you caught her the following year at Glastonbury where there were moments of brilliance and moments, frankly, of drug-induced confusion. Or perhaps you saw her last week at the Islington Academy. Ah, yes, that last one wasn't Amy at all, was it? It was tribute artist Emma Wright, who alongside her band The Amy Winehouse Experience, a.k.a. Lioness, is performing around the country right now as Amy Winehouse. And she is terrific at impersonating one of the few genuinely musical icons of my lifetime. But here she is, for once, in her own words. moment I walk out onto that stage I am Amy I, I don't come out of character even when we're, we're having a bow I, I make sure I've still got the accent because if I lost that at the end of the show people be like oh she doesn't quite look like her anymore as much because she's not acting like her Something I've done all my life is try to um, impersonate singers. Um, but I grew up with kind of Celine Dion and Leanne Rhymes. I listened to music that much that I'd start to pick up on the artist's mannerisms and how they pronounce words. Don't think I can feel like there's something wrong. You've been the sweetest part of my life for so long. I look in your eyes, there's a distant light And you and I know there'll be a storm tonight So the things I look for when I'm trying to impersonate someone is how they pronounce each word that they're singing. So how Celine or Shakira would kind of have the same tone. Shakira might go, It's kind of like a yodel. 
and then I, I don't know it just it just comes natural to me sometimes I don't know <laughs> I was probably about 18 when I, I first heard of Amy Winehouse and it was probably rehab that I heard first they've got such a mysterious kind of tone to it and it really pulls you in and, and I thought wow this is something I need to be looking at it's a really good sound it was my first kind of introduction to jazz as well really I know that her dad played a lot and a lot of, of jazz music and a lot of 60s and she got into jazz when she was 14 it's definitely Sarah Vaughan in her voice that's one of her, her biggest inspirations she would sing there is no great love then what I feel for you. There's kind of um, the vibrato in her voice. I think she's getting that from, from her 60s artists and her Sarah Vaughan and, and, and people like Etta James and things like that. Amy, does sometimes she does a, l- a little bit of a baby voice, like a sweet voice, which I think she would get from, from people like the Supremes, like Diana Ross. So when you hear, baby, 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 don't leave me, you know, really sweet. Amy will do that on, say, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Tonight you're mine completely. Do you hear it? Like a bit of a sweetness to the voice, and then other times she'll she'll belt it out. She used to love to scat, so scatting's like kind of where you just ad libbing any kind of word you want to say. It doesn't even have to be a real word. I go the girl, the girl, the girl from Ipanema, from Ipanema. Weep, 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 weep. Wap, wap, booyap, I actually went out in, in Blackpool singing as myself, so I'd sing obviously covers um, like 60s up to chart hits and just sing basically crowd pleasing songs at, at clubs and pubs and things. And um, I'd, I'd get punters coming up to me and saying, God, you really sound like that girl. Or, or you should, you know, you should go on a talent show or something and, and show your talents off. So, Let's hear it, Emma. So with X Factor, you apply, they send you a date to turn up to, so it's kind of like an open audition. You turn up to Manchester Old Trafford. I was very, very determined, and that was kind of all I wanted in life. It was my main goal. I wanted to to be a huge star, and there's, there's absolutely hundreds of you. Um, they film you first, doing all your we got the X Factor kind of thing. So I said I was a, a singer in Blackpool, and they just um, came up with... On the little screen, it says Emma Wright, 19, pub singer, um, which was a bit disheartening. I sang Ain't No Other Man by Christina Aguilera, which is my boyfriend's favourite song, and all my family loved me singing it. But I took Christina's tone, um, so when it came to actually singing in front of the judges, uh, Kelly Rowland was a judge at the time, and she said, you know, you need to find your, your own originality. You, you, you're a really good singer, but you're copying Christina Aguilera. And she was bob on with what she said. It was complete, completely right. And I think that's kind of what stopped me in the competition, really. I got to boot camp, and then that was it. With, with Little Mix, um, they were my year um, in X Factor. So when Little Mix won, they got put together by Simon. And I, my mum always says, Perry looked like me and had my kind of voice. And she said, you know, that could have been you. They just... You were very similar and they kind of just picked her. So it's, it's something to think about and not to, think, not to take it so personally with shows like that. 
Um, I found out about uh, Harry Hill's Stars in Their Eyes on Facebook, actually, and I went to sing as Christina Aguilera, <laughs> and they said, we actually already have a Christina Aguilera lined up for the show, but we'd like to uh, see you do Lady Gaga. Right on the limits where we know we both belong tonight. When I saw people making money out of the the tribute acts, I thought, oh, you know what? Why have I not done this sooner? It's something that I love doing. I love taking on people's voices. So it was making me more determined. Like, as soon as I get home, I need to sort this out now. and I need to, to get this sorted and, and have a bit of a career change in direction. I won my heat out of um, a couple of other acts, such as Adele and John Legend and, and things like that, and then lost out to Frankie Valley. But it didn't matter. It was such a, a great show anyway, and I really enjoyed myself. Right, so that was like the boring show. Um, she would always have the audience laughing so I try and put a bit of, of banter in there with the audience because they go oh that's Amy I struggle doing artists that I've never heard sing that song. I have to hear the artist sing it before I can take it. I think it's like having a, a photographic memory, really, but with songs, I kind of take the exact pronunciation of words and how the artist says that word, and I associate it with that song and no other songs. There's a lot of, of work to transform into Amy Winehouse, um, a lot more than I thought, actually. Um, it took a lot of watching the videos. I studied her immensely to do a British tribute as well was, was very new for me. So I had to master the, the Southern accent. I had to obviously go and get all the outfits and, and find a, a wig that was good enough. But mostly it's watching how she moved, um, all the mannerisms, and she has a little wiggle that she does on stage, which was quite hard for me to master. She kind of moves from the waist instead of the hips. So it was kind of just studying it all the time. And when people watch her perform, they they know her when she was kind of performing at Shepherd's Bush and when it, she was in the later part of her life. So we like to portray her as she was at Shepherd's Bush. I think the, the big one with Amy is to make sure that you portray her when she was well because, you know, there was, there was times where she, she sat on stage and she was very, very unwell at that time and I'd never dream of doing anything like that. I, I don't believe in strutting around the stage drunk and, and falling over and that kind of side of it we try to maintain a happy medium I'll sway a little bit but I won't slur or you know make it look very I know that it's a sensitive subject so I won't cross the line with it I know tributes that that are parodying her when she was drinking and I don't want it to come across like that so I try to tone it down I never quite understood why, why people would go downhill when they were famous and now I totally get it because to be stared at all the time, to be judged for every single thing you do, to have people slag you off on every form of social media, it can't be nice and it must get too much and that I can see that's probably why she went down the road she went down. A lot of people saw that we were doing a tribute on Facebook and a few people didn't take it too well. They didn't get what we were trying to do. They thought we were just trying to be her and obviously in a sense we are but I'm not trying to insult her or anything like that we're, we're just trying to keep Amy's music alive 
some of the feedback we've had uh, is from young people that in my opinion don't go out and watch live music as much as say my mum or dad did so you've got some people that don't quite grasp what a tribute is so people think that we're just kind of trying to be Amy or trying to be on Amy's level it's difficult trying to get people my age to kind of come to a tribute show when they're not used to going out and doing that but we've had a lot of of positive reviews and and good feedback so it's just trying to get my generation I think into going out and seeing live bands that aren't the actual act as well like you can come and see some some tribute bands and it'll be equally as as great a night for them so we're working on it And if that has intrigued you to see Emma Wright lead the Amy Winehouse Experience, a.k.a. Lioness, she is touring at the moment. You can see her very soon in Liverpool, Bournemouth, Sheffield, Manchester, Glasgow, Bristol, Leicester, Birmingham. Details are on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Foxhole's up next, after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time to talk about willies and fannies and all the things in your pants with Alex Fox. It's the foxhole. Hi, Alex. Hello, Wondrous Ollie. How are you this week? I'm very well, thank you. And am I right in saying that when I was recently shopping for some balding shampoo, I heard your voice come across the tannoy? Oh, were you in Superdrug? For my sins, I was. Yes, yes, that's me. I have been, I'm very proud to say, employed as Superdrug's resident sexpert. What the hell does a pharmacy need a resident sexpert for? You could argue why does a podcast, but... uh... It's my job to uh, write helpful articles and Ah. uh, do uh, demonstration videos on Instagram. So if you go on Superdrug's Insta soon, you'll be able to see me putting a condom on a banana. By the way, covering a banana in a condom before you have sex ain't going to protect you. You need to pretend that your phallus is a banana yes i see Um, i think even uh, people who choose to follow a corporate account on instagram can make that imaginative leap every job that i get that's anything vaguely mainstream they always want me to use the phrase spice up your sex life yes so much spice uh, if you do want to spice up your sex life using an actual spice, might I suggest the uh, practice of figging, uh, which is when you peel a piece of root ginger and then insert it up somebody's back passage uh, if they're into pain. It gives a, a hot stinging sensation. Okay. Not one to be entered into lightly, though, because ginger contains essential oils. That burning sensation goes on for quite some time. Ginger? So. You said ginger. figs. No, it's called figging. But you use ginger. You use ginger. Why is it called figging? I don't know, actually. It's, it's a really ancient practice. But what happens if you put a fig up your snatch? I want to know all these things now. My brain didn't even know that it needed to know these things. <laughs> it's not up your snatch, it's up your bum. Yes, I know. I, but if but you've got the, ginger up your bum, what do you put up your snatch? A, a fig, fig, obviously. <laughs> shall we answer a question, Ollie? Yes, we shall, but not without okay. first thanking our friends <laughs> at mycondom.com, who sponsor our listener question every week. And if you want to spice up your sex life, be sure to visit their website. Why, Alex? Oh, they sell all sorts of amazing products, including 
including mm-hmm. uh, something called Love Socks Boxers and Love Socks Socks, which are socks and boxer shorts with a little pocket built into them that holds one condom neatly. So you can keep a condom on you at all times. Sounds like a Dragon's Den product to me. It does a bit, yeah. Well, <laughs> but anyway, if you want it, mycondom.com have it. Um, yes, and I'm now going to start calling my vagina the Dragon's Den. Come <laughs> and I'm open for pitches. Uh, on which note, we, <laughs> we lead to this week's listener's question. Okay. Uh, which is from someone who's chosen to remain anonymous, who used to be a prostitute. So I'm jumping to the assumption this is a woman, but of course could be a man. Uh, and they say, Alex, in my early 20s, I became addicted to crack cocaine Whoa. and I was prostituting to support my habit. I've been clean for almost six years, but now should I bring this up with potential romantic partners? Whew. Okay, first up, I am really sad that you went through that. That yes. sounds majorly tough. Uh, and well done for getting off crack cocaine and leaving that behind for six years because mm. that's really you should be incredibly proud that you've achieved that in your life now the question of how and do mm. you disclose this to partners um, and I, I think they mean specifically the prostitution element right the fact that they slept with perhaps dozens or hundreds of people for money rather than the, the drugs bit. well it might be the cocaine bit as well because if someone has a history of substance abuse they may want to avoid scenarios now that involve any kind of potentially Mm. addictive substance like drink. Mm. So if this, if our uh, listener here who's written in now is um, straight edge or or, or avoids alcohol, for example, uh, that might naturally provoke the question, oh, why don't you drink? And they might feel obligated then to go, oh, well, it's because I went through this really traumatic time six years ago when I had a major drug habit and I was doing this. So I guess the question here is really how much do you have to say about your history? If you contracted something which you can uh, pass on to a potential romantic partner now, then it is important to disclose that you are a carrier. Mm -hmm. I'd also say it's crucial here to consider who else in your life knows about this part of your history And are they likely to out you to your partner? Because I don't know about you, Ollie, but I think I'd find if there was something like this in someone's history that I was dating, I'd prefer to hear it from them Mm. than to have an uncomfortable surprise from someone they knew. Mm. And that could also be really uncomfortable for for the the letter writer here uh, if a mate or a family member unwittingly lands them right in the shit Mm. by making some reference to this this spectre in their past. And then they've got to have an uncomfortable conversation where they divulge all this. I think that's right, but I suppose the issue is... You know, if this is something of an albatross around your neck and, and you, you're thinking about it all the time and you're so happy to now be in a positive relationship where you don't have to think about those dark moments, you're clouding it, aren't you? You're thinking to yourself, perhaps, the moment I mention this, I'm bringing up all that shit that I've left behind and bringing it into my new relationship, which is unpolluted by this stuff. If this person's history means that certain things are upsetting or triggering to them, it may help them to tell their partner and contextualise what's happened so that those scenarios can be comfortably avoided. It's not just about looking after your new romantic interest. And I suppose the other thing that might happen if you're still living in the city where you worked as a prostitute is one of your clients yeah. might bump into you yeah. or and call you. Yeah, and mention something. So it does... Increasingly, it's feeling like, from our discussions, 
at some point, it's probably best to chat about this with your partner before someone else outs you, either on purpose or by accident. Mm. But at what point and how should you bring this up? Uh, The letter says potential romantic partners. I don't think you need to disclose this really early on. Uh, I don't think it's something you need to get off your chest on the first couple of dates. No, I think that's right, yeah. Um, When would you think that this would be the... I mean, it's such a tricky topic, isn't it? I think at the point at which you are going straight, for want of a better phrase, you know, going steady, to use the 1950s parlance, isn't it? It's the moment at which you say, okay, we're an item, we're together. At that point, it makes sense Mm. to say there's something I have to tell you. But then, as I say, it does turn it into an issue. Perhaps... One way to deal with that would be to approach the conversation framing it in positivity. That might sound trite, but there is actually a great deal of positivity and and, and, a, and huge points of pride in this story. Maybe if this person said, I'm really happy to tell you that I managed to get over something really difficult and tough. Yeah. I had a really challenging time in my past and I'm happy to tell you that you're in a relationship with someone who had the strength to overcome that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's, and this person should be really proud yeah. of managing that. So perhaps they should frame it in, in a way where they can say, I'm, you know, I'm really glad that you're getting the best of me now. And possibly I did learn some tricks. It's mean, <laughs> <laughs> part of it as well, tricks, isn't it? Yeah. The right person will be able to handle the fact that you had a hard time and got through it. That's of course right. But I suppose the reality is you don't always find that right person, do you? Otherwise we wouldn't be getting these sorts of questions. No, true. But anybody, everyone's got history, you know? If somebody is judging you on something that has happened in the past and that you have dealt with in a really sensible, admirable and adult manner, then I would say the fault really is theirs rather than yours. And it was six years ago. You know, this person may still describe themselves as being in recovery uh, because it's common for people to talk about that use those terms for the rest of their lives after they've had a drug problem but six years is a long time you know this isn't something that they have they've just been clean for a month Mm. they've been clean and living brilliantly for six years you know they've proven themselves so that should be reassuring right Good advice. Uh, and if you would like some of Alex's advice on next week's show, then you can send a question into the foxhole. How do people do that? You toddle on to our website, which is modernmanmann.co.uk, and then click feedback to submit your question. If you want to remain anonymous, that's fine by me. And if in the meantime you want to go and buy yourself some condoms, some lube or whatever takes your fancy at mycondom.com, then we have a promotional code for you as well. Use the code FOXHOLE, F-O-X. H-O-L-E and you get 15% off anything that you purchase and with that we have nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man but we do have time to announce a new Manbassador it is LD Hoddy from Japan who says listening to this podcast is a great way for an Englishman in Japan to feel like I'm back in England thank you sir I hope you didn't find our analysis of the Nintendo Switch to be patronising and I hereby pronounce you Manbassador for Japan you can be a Manbassador too. Just leave us a review at itunes.com slash M-A-N-N. And if you want to support us financially, we will not turn you away. Please do sponsor the show or buy us a beer. All the details are on our website, modernman.co.uk. Our theme is by Django Django from their first album called Django Django. And the track you're about to hear from British Sea Power sounds like they're saying sex friend. Sex friend! See? 
but is actually the equivalent phrase in German for six degrees of separation. Anyway, the track is called Keep On Trying, and it's out at the end of March on Rough Trade Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.